Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series, Passion, today, with a message entitled, The Mystery of Faith. So turning your Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 36 to 43, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Herb Miller, in his book, Connecting with God, tells what I think is a very funny story. A nightclub opened in a small town. The only church in that town organized an all-night prayer meeting in response in which the members of that church called on God to burn that club to the ground. And within minutes of that prayer, lightning struck the club, and indeed, it burned to the ground. The owner of the club, hearing about the prayer, sued the church, and the church, in response, said they were in no way responsible for what happened on that night. The case went to court, and a judge heard both sides of the argument. And here's a part of what that judge said. He said, it seems that it is not possible to assess guilt in this case, so I'm throwing out the case, but wherever the guilt may lie, one thing is absolutely certain. The nightclub owner believes in prayer, and this church does not. (laughs) Yeah, I want to speak today about the mystery of faith, the mystery of believing. You believe in Jesus, and if you do, you should think about that and come to a conclusion. The fact that you believe is a profound mystery. You believe and have put your confidence in the one you have never seen, and there is no ultimate human explanation for your faith. And today, as we carry on in John chapter 12 to 14, we come to a text in which John will explain why it is that many did not believe in Jesus. So let's read our text, John 12, 36 to 40. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. The passage we read is a kind of a commentary. You know, years after these events, the Apostle John would think about that one week, that that week where Jesus began riding into Jerusalem and being hailed as their king, and would end with him being crucified. And as John thought about that, he had some thoughts to share, and these are thoughts that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. By now, in this account, Jesus has driven out the money changers out of the temple, and he's had significant and heated debates with the Pharisees. He'd been public, but now he's hidden himself, and he's found a place of privacy for himself and his disciples. Many of the crowds have turned against him. They no longer believe, and John is thinking about that, and he's immersed in the mystery of faith. Why is it that some believe and others do not? Why is it that Israel's leaders rejected their Messiah? Is it because the evidence was not convincing enough? Is is there something Jesus didn't explain? Was his mission not well conceived? Why this response to their king? And in this, we're left with our own questions, aren't we? Some of you who are listening to me have family and friends whom you love, but who have not yet so far believed in Christ. Some of you come from the same home where in that home some believe and others do not. And in our day, it's become popular to speak about deconversions. 
You know, there are some whom we thought were leaders in the Christian faith, but now have renounced their faith and they publicly say they no longer believe. Have you been shaken by that? Let me assure you that it also goes the other way around. I know some very interesting stories of kids who grew up in a home, even in a culture of atheism, and then deconverted from atheism. They've now come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And furthermore, a personal story. You know, my years in a secular university did more to establish my faith than I would have imagined. I listened to arguments against faith carefully, and then I also read the apologists of the Christian faith. And then I learned to be bold about my faith, and then I learned to lead fellow university students to faith in Christ. And those university years were profound. They, they deeply built a confidence in the gospel in me. But I know that some who had the very opposite experience, they went to a university and they felt like the foundations of their faith simply melted away. And we heard the same lectures and we read the same books, and what accounts for that? And furthermore, let me get personal with you. Why is it that you believe? What's the explanation for you? And as John would think about that question, he wants to give us three lessons about faith. And here's the first. Seeing is definitely not believing. Let me remind ourselves of what John said in verses 36 and 37. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Please understand what John is reflecting on. Some saw his healings. Some saw him driving out demons. Some saw him feeding 5,000 with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And just recently, some had stood with him in front of the tomb of Lazarus and smelled the stench of death and then had seen Jesus raise a dead man. And these very people who saw this stuff did not believe. I know it seems incredible, but it is true. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And by the way, that's a different Lazarus. The rich man lived with an extended larger family with his brothers. They had everything this world had to offer, but they had no faith. The poor man, Lazarus, was so poor, he was a street person. He could afford no clothing, no food, no medical care, and he had no friends. He was alone, but he believed. He entrusted his soul and his future to God. Just because he knew only suffering in this world did not diminish his confidence that God loved him, and Lazarus loved God and surrendered to him. Both men died, Lazarus and the rich man, and Lazarus went to heaven. The rich man went to hell, and Jesus said the rich man was in torment. And he can see Abraham, and in his anguish, he cries out, Send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers, and they will end up here. But if they see Lazarus, you know, the man with weeping sores on his legs, the man whose only friends were the dogs, the man who ate breadcrumbs that fell from tables, the man who died in misery of poverty, standing now before them, dressed in honor and glory, and if he tells them of this place of torment, surely they're going to listen. I mean, doesn't that sound reasonable? Of course it does. Seeing is believing, right? But do you remember what Jesus said of all that? Luke 16, 31. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You know, it was St. Augustine who said, faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. And what he meant, of course, is that we will see God. We're going to see his glory. We will see pure, undefiled, unspoiled delight. And this is the key. 
Please understand that the people who condemned Jesus, at least many of them, are the same people who had seen his miracles. Seeing is not believing. I think this is so vital for us to understand. You know, faith is a mystery. Those of us who believe didn't believe because we have more or secret or special evidence. I mean, that evidence, whatever it might be, the evidence of the empty tomb or the evidence of the historical veracity of the gospel accounts, the evidence of the truth of the entire Bible, the evidence of design in creation. I could go on and on, but you get what I'm saying. That evidence is not kept in a secret vault somewhere, only available to a chosen few. You know, as Paul told King Agrippa when he shared the gospel with him, he said, these things were not done in a corner. Of course they weren't. They were done on the open stage. Agrippa would have been most aware of what Jesus did. There is no lack of evidence. But faith is not like a science lab in which we prove a theorem. That's because faith demands more than acquiescing to the facts. Faith is something else entirely. It is surrender. It is repentance and turning from self to God and expressing trust in him. And more so, faith is directed towards the identity of Jesus. Notice again in verse 37, it says, they still did not believe in him. Not that they didn't believe he had power to do miracles. That was self-evident. They did not believe in him. See, faith is always in him. It is in Christ. Faith believes, of course, that Jesus is who he says he is. Remember, that's why John wrote the book of John. He says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you might have life in his name. That's why John wrote. But on the other hand, unbelief stumbles over the offense of Jesus. Look again at verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe. It's not that the evidence wasn't there. It was him. They could not believe him. Lazarus raised from the dead, that's undeniable. But to put our trust in him, well, that's asking more than they were willing to do. We will not believe in him. Now then, what accounts for that? Who could have known where the world would find itself today? Well, we know nothing is beyond God, beginning to end. We find ourselves in challenging days, unprecedented for most. We're experiencing uncertainty, more questions, I suppose, than answers. But take courage, people of God. He is faithful. In response to our global circumstances, the next five weeks, beginning March 22nd, Dr. Neufeld will be releasing a special video series each Sunday morning. This series has been designed to provide weekly Bible teaching, particularly for those who may not be able to currently worship with their church family. In this series, Dr. Neufeld will provide unique messages of hope found in Christ. Join us this Sunday morning at backtothebible.ca as we search God's Word for today. And if you miss a message, no worries. Prior messages will be available online or on our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I have said that faith is a mystery. And the fact that some believe in Jesus and some do not will always remain a matter not fully understood. But John wants to help us. After saying that many did not believe in him, verse 38 says, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, 
Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? See, that's a quote from Isaiah 53, verse 1. The text comes from the fourth of the servant songs of Isaiah. And the fourth servant song begins by saying that the servant of the Lord will be lifted up and exalted by many. But in the end, many will be appalled at him because he would be disfigured. In Isaiah 52, verse 15, Isaiah says that kings will shut their mouths because of him. And in the end, in chapter 53, he explains, because the servant of the Lord will be seen as stricken and crushed and despised. And so Isaiah asks the question, who has believed our message? But then he adds something, and you see it there in the text. This is a case of Hebrew parallelism. The second verse states the same thing as the first verse, except it gives a little bit of an extra insight as to what the first verse means. So you might want to notice then that the message that Isaiah gave the people, that is, who has believed what he heard from us, then has a parallelism in which he says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So I hope you see the message and the arm of the Lord, those are the same thing. Now, wherever you see the phrase, the arm of the Lord, It always refers to God's great power and might. So here's the message of Isaiah. God will display his mighty, unstoppable power in the suffering of the servant of the Lord. And who, he asks, would believe that? I think the primary problem with Jesus, I mean, the reason why so many did not believe, is because he came in weakness, not in strength. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, not on a war horse. He washed his disciples' feet. He came to suffer. It was the atheist philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. He called this pathetic. God hanging on a cross like some mutilated, ugly, revolting spider. He called it distasteful. He mocked it. Give me a sign of power, not a sign of weakness, Nietzsche said. He didn't need a spider hanging on a cross. I think it's the same with many. Show me God, they say. You know, when I was a younger Christian, I thought I could convince non-Christians through mere rationality. And I, I have to confess, I actually never won anyone to Christ that way. But I used to marshal all the arguments taken from what have been called theistic proofs, you know, arguments from philosophy and from history. I knew the ontological argument, and I knew the cosmological argument, and I knew moral proofs for God, and I knew arguments based on causation and so forth. And look, I'm not saying that this stuff isn't helpful. It is helpful, especially for those who already believe or for those who are on the verge of believing. But I've seen where fruitfulness in bringing people to Christ truly lies. If I can just show people Jesus hanging on a cross, show them the love of God in sending his own son to provide forgiveness for their sins, to make them sons and daughters of God. You know, that's a picture of the outstretched and mighty hand of God. And I know of many who will say, that was the proof I was looking for. And others will say, if that's all you got, that's disappointing stuff indeed. So John wants to say that seeing is not believing. The explanation for faith is not in what you've experienced or seen or in your family history or in your education or any other experiences you've had. There is a mystery in faith. Indeed, John wants us to know that. And this might surprise you, but here's my second point. Believing is a matter of ability. See, notice again, first part of verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe. Now, notice that John doesn't say they would not believe or they refuse to believe or they just dislike Jesus that much. Rather, surprisingly, he said they're incapable of belief. They couldn't have believed because they weren't capable of it. 
Look, the reason I don't run a three and a half minute mile is not for any other reason than I'm just not capable of it. Now, I know that right here, some of us get our backs up. We're uncomfortable with this. We have become so used to telling the story of our faith with, without relying on the explanation of a mystery. So we talk of faith as a matter of personal decision-making without saying why this decision was possible in the first place. Kind of like, you know, I made a personal decision to run the three-and-a-half-minute mile. You see, for many of us, we couldn't even conceive of the idea that faith might be that hard. You know, for some of us, there's no mystery in faith at all. It's kind of like, you know, one person likes red cars and the other person likes blue cars. Kind of like a decision, like I decided to buy a timeshare and you thought it wouldn't work for you, or I believe in this political philosophy and you don't. See, we want to tell the story of the mystery of our faith by appealing to no more than something that lies within our own ability to control. But John speaks to the unbelievers in Jerusalem and says there's nothing in them that would make them even remotely capable of believing. And then let's move to 39b to 40. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah saw because God enabled him to see. That's how Isaiah became a prophet. The passage quoted in verse 40, well, that comes from Isaiah chapter 6. Now, those of you who know Isaiah well know that this chapter is the explanation of how and why Isaiah became a prophet. Isaiah begins the chapter by saying, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah had gone into the temple, and, and what may have begun like a normal day suddenly was changed. Suddenly he was swept into a different world entirely. He simply says, I saw Yahweh. That is stunning, because no one can see God and live, but that's what Isaiah says. He's seated in the temple on a massive throne. The train of his robe is so large, it simply fills the temple. And the temple was filling with smoke, and great winged seraphs appeared, mighty, majestic angels who were described as the burning ones, and they were flying with great power past me on every side, and they were crying out. Indeed, they were screaming loudly, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh, the great and almighty God. The whole world is filled with his glory. And then came a violent earthquake, and everything was shaking, and it's hard to see because of the smoke, and in absolute terror, Isaiah cries out, I'm lost, I'm unclean, woe to me. And he's terrified as a sinful man to be suddenly thrust into the presence of fierce and raw and unrestrained holiness. Now, lest you miss it, I want you to look ahead to verse 41. It said, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Who's John referring to? Who is the his and his glory? You know, Greek grammarians will point out that the pronoun his has an antecedent in verse 36 and 37. In other words, John is telling us that on that fateful day when Isaiah was in the temple, it was Jesus that he actually saw. It's a picture of Isaiah falling before the glory of Jesus. He sees Jesus and he saw him because he was enabled to see him. And in that moment of terror, Jesus sent one of the seraphs, the burning ones, to touch his lips and make him clean. And there as he lay in dazed in grateful trembling, he hears the call of the Son of God, whom will I send? The implication is, whom will I send to be my prophet? And Isaiah hears his own lips call out, here am I, send me. And as he now is a clean and holy man, before God on his face, waiting and trembling, he hears the message he is to give. God said, 
Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. In other words, your call, Isaiah, is to preach in such a way so that people react badly to your message, and then in utter rebellion, God will come and punish them and destroy them utterly. That's the story of Isaiah 6. It's the explanation of why Israel didn't repent. It's also the story of why Isaiah believed and the vast majority of his hearers did not. John is saying that's also the reason why some among the Jews who saw the miracles of Jesus did not believe. See, faith is always a miracle. It's a profound mystery. If you're listening to my voice and find your heart warmed, hearing about Jesus and wanting to respond, if you hear from him, you'll want to respond immediately. Confess your sins, call Jesus Savior and Lord, marvel that you have come to believe in one so great. But if you're still puzzled by this idea of the mystery of faith, why it was impossible for some to believe, you're going to have to wait for tomorrow because I'm going to tell you more about it then. But if you are in faith, rejoice. You have had faith in the one who has had mercy on you. Give God glory for the mystery of your faith. And if you do not yet believe, cast your cares on Jesus, and he will give you the great gift of faith. John, of course, faith is a wonderful and interesting subject matter, and we see all different types of expressions of faith within the Bible, people of great faith and maybe people that don't have such great faith. And yet, so I ask you the question, is faith a gift? Is it, is it something that some people will have more of than others? Yeah, clearly. You know, Ben, I've tried to walk a line here, and I don't know if I've done it successfully, but this whole idea that it is so important for us to actively believe in Jesus. We must choose daily to believe. So that choice component, that, that action that we need to do has to be a part. And we can do things to, to bolster our faith and to have more faith. So if we have so little of it, well, we need to look at ourselves and say, you know, maybe we've not put our eyes on the right things. We've wasted our time rather than focusing our thoughts on the things of God. At the same time, I've wanted to say that this mystery of faith is that, you know, Faith is truly a gift that has been given to us by God. It's, there's this sense of wonder that I, I think you and I both share that, you know, here we are, we, we, we believe God. What in the world explains that outside of, you know, something wonderful has been done to us? We've been given faith. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Passion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Hi, this is Ben Lowell, CEO of Back to the Bible Canada. You know, it's with great sincerity that the entire Back to the Bible ministry team wants to express its deep appreciation for the gracious support of all of our donors. But for this moment, we'd like to express our gratitude to those of you who support this ministry as monthly partners. In normal times, we recognize and value the important role you play. But in unprecedented times as these, The essential nature of your commitment to continue to teach the Bible and share the gospel could not be more obvious. So thank you. Please be assured of our daily prayers for you and your families in challenging times. We extend our gratitude for your partnership in the gospel. 
And remember, all of our resources continue to be made available online at backtothebible.ca. Or for more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425.